You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex is happening in the marriage bed. Here are your hosts, Dr. Corey Allen and Shannon Etheridge. So I got to start off straight off with a question. How was the getaway, Shannon, even though we haven't had it yet as we're recording this? <laughs> I'm still on that mountaintop, you know, that euphoric feeling when you came back home from summer camp where all is right with the world and the sky is so blue and the sun is so bright and yeah. Of course, that's all hypothetical because we haven't actually had the getaway as we're recording this show. It's still oh, tomorrow. Oh, thanks for blowing my cover, Corey. Well, that's okay because I figure... You know, we've, we've got uh, some scheduling issues that have come up with the way we're trying to navigate these shows that we record live shows at the getaways and then they air right after the getaway. So it's kind of a cool thing for people that, that are there, get a chance to hear some of the shows they might have been part of the audience or even on the show for. And mm-hmm. then those that weren't there, they get a chance to get a feel of what it was like and what we've been doing and which is, I love those episodes. Those are great episodes. But the way. There's always so much energy. Yes. But the way we're structuring this this time is they're pushed out a couple of weeks because we wanted to have a, a recorded episode 300 mm-hmm. while at the getaway. And so Live. that meant we've got to push a couple of things. And so you get two more weeks of uh, just us, no live shows. Sorry, if you want to tune in in a couple of weeks because that <laughs> bums you out, go right ahead. There'll but- be lots more energy on future shows today. <laughs> we'll we'll try not to sound like Doug it's- and Debbie Downer. Yeah, it's Wendy, just us. Doug and Wendy Weiner, oh, how- whoever those characters are. It, it's just us. How boring. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> now that's, is that Let's Make a Deal? No, is that pr- the Zonker? That's Price is Right. Price but this is Right. Is, but this <laughs> is Sexy Marriage shows. Radio. So thanks for taking some time out of your day to spend it with us. And uh, we love hearing from our listeners. And if you're bummed out that this is just us rather than a live show, send an email to feedback at sexymarriageradio.com and, and tell us your concerns. Tell us your worries. Just vent. That we'll, we'll listen to it. I'd love it. And if you had a question or comment or anything else that you want us to cover on a show, which is kind of where this show today is coming from, is some uh-huh. a, a lot of emails we've received over this topic, then you can send those too at feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. You can also jump on iTunes, leave us any kind of comments, reviews, help us spread the word because we do want Sexy Marriage Radio to impact far more people than the large audience that already does impact. Mm -hmm, We want it to keep mm -hmm. going. And before we dive into this topic today, Corey, I want to tell everybody why I'm so excited about this particular day of the year um, that, yeah, we're pre-recording it, but when it actually airs. I will actually still be in Texas doing a Well Women workshop immediately following the Sexy Marriage right. Radio getaway. That's I right. did it this way purposely, purposefully because I knew that there would be plenty of couples who would want to come to both, if at all possible, yeah. who are traveling from out of state. So I've got several couples who are coming, but she is staying for an extra four days to do a Well Women workshop with me. Now, that sounds a little bit different than what you normally hear me say. Normally, I say Women at the Well workshop. Right. This is for women who have already done a Women at the Well workshop, who want to come back for a 201 experience. And so I'm really excited about what God's going to do in their lives over the course of that four days. But what I love, love, love is when a couple gets so serious about their relationship and about their lives that they are listening to Sexy Marriage Radio. They're coming to the getaways. Maybe he's jumping into your husband mastermind group. I assume that there are going to be some people at the getaway who are in your husband mastermind group, right? Who dive into a, a workshop for themselves I love it when people 
really invest yes. into their relationship. And what I really love is for you and I to get to see the results of that. Yeah. Like, it, it, especially when we get to do one on one coaching with some of these couples, that we get to watch them blossom and heal and bond and connect. And it's just so fulfilling and rewarding. Yeah, so, absolutely. we just want to say thank you all for entrusting your your time and your relationships to us with just the the feedback that you give us and the um the way that you're a part of the sexy marriage radio family yep, you are welcome to the family and if you're new i'm so glad you found us mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome mm-hmm. enjoy your stay kick your feet back and uh you got some catching up to do <laughs> yeah you do start some binging love our binge listeners <laughs> we're worse than netflix once you get started you can't stop <laughs> <laughs> all right so one of the topics that keeps coming up is as far as when in the feedback at sexymarriageradio.com inbox is this idea of the impact um, medications can have on your sex life, specifically antidepressants, uh, some of the different pharmacological results that we have for uh, chemical imbalances in the brain, mood disorders, different things like that. And those do have a direct impact on libido, arousal, desire, performance. There's a lot of ramifications to this. Right. And I was so disheartened to talk with yet another coaching client this morning who reported something similar that I've heard many people say, that their therapist or doctor put them on an antidepressant without explaining the the, the, the medical side effects on your sex life. Right. And the way that I've explained it best is in a nutshell, just for the average person to wrap their brain around what's happening, is that antidepressants don't just quell the negative emotions. They quell the extremes, both negative and positive. And the most extreme positive emotion that we can experience is joy and euphoria. Well, what are we experiencing when we experience experiencing orgasm if it's not joy and euphoria? And so many clients will say that they are totally inorgasmic when they've been on antidepressants for a long time. Or that there's just zero interest, that they just can't imagine right. going there again, that it just seems like they hit a huge wall. And I think that there's a pharmacological reason for that, that they have to adjust their expectations on what sex looks like and yes. what it represents for them. Because it's not going to be the same ride. It's not going to be the same thing as it was before. Not ever. Not as long as you need to be on these medications. But um, a gal that I was talking to this morning who's given me permission to share some of the the parts of her story. Uh, she's been married for 15 years. Two little kids at home. And you know, that's stress enough. And then, of course, she works outside the home, too. I'm not saying that that's not enough to make you depressed. But she believes that she has some things going on in her brain that she has dangerous thoughts sometimes uh, of either hurting herself or hurting one of her children. And so she has huge motivation to stay on these medications that she's been on for five years because they're working for her. She doesn't have those kind of thoughts. Absolutely. And so to say, you know, well, you need to work yourself off of these antidepressants and, and get high on life is not a good piece of advice. So it's, you have to adjust your expectations about your sex life but her doctor had explained zero to her about what kind of impact it would have. So she's wondering, you know, where'd the love and feeling go? And, you know, is it my upbringing? The fact that sex was never talked about in my home, but for a period of of 10 years, they had a rock and sex life. It was, it was great. Mm -hmm. 
and when I asked her, is there a direct correlation between the time you started antidepressants and the time that you started losing interest? She hadn't connected those two things, but she couldn't deny that that was most likely when and how it happened. So Corey, with you having a PhD, I'm sure that you have seen a lot more of this than I have. What, what's been your experience with patients? Well, exactly what you're describing, that the, the medications that are out there, while they serve a purpose and sometimes are a necessity, they are designed to help level out things so that you don't go to the highs and the lows. So you're going to have a direct impact to your emotions because what you're trying to do is cover one end and it's going to cover the other too, just like you're describing. So it's, this doesn't mean avoid at all cost. It just means to me, uh, be prepared and, and be proactive and, have constant conversation with a doctor because one of the nicest things about the pharmacological world is there's always new stuff coming out because they're constantly tweaking the recipes and the effects and the impacts and limiting side effects. And so sometimes there's, it, there's tremendous benefit to being very, uh, what would be the word that very, uh, proactive, very engaged with your own care and don't just take what one doctor, what your doctor says, Hey, take this pill. There could also be a straight, ask him straight back. Hold on. Are there other options that mm -hmm. could help me with that have less side effects that you've heard? Because the MDs are the ones that are versed on here's more knowledge about the, the drugs because that's their world. Right. Right. So as the conversation continued with this client this morning, I just continued to ask her several questions about what is she doing in the realm of self-care to lessen the effects of the depression. And I explained to her, you know, before I get into this other stuff, that with sex, we have a natural recurring desire. And it's, you know, with every person, it's a little different. Some people, it's every 48 hours, some people 72, some people you know, once a week or whatever, but hormonally speaking, there's usually a recurring desire for sex. But when you have no payoff with an orgasm, right? If you're if you're inorgasmic, especially when you've been orgasmic before and you know the joy and elation of all of that, but you don't experience it now because of the medications, you can lose interest altogether. Right. So you really are gonna have to reframe the notion that sex is no longer about me producing an orgasm for myself or my partner producing an orgasm for me. Right. But does that mean that you shouldn't still be sexually active to the extent that you can? I think that it's important to understand that sexuality and sexual intimacy serves more purpose than just creating orgasm in both partners. Uh, I talk about the three P's in the Sexually Confident Wife book about how, yeah, there's procreation. Well, she's had all the kids that she wants, so that's not necessary. And then there's pleasure, well, she's not getting a whole lot out of that like she used to. So that's been kind of a, uh, a, right. a boner killer, for right. lack of a better expression. But there's still the third P, and that's pair bonding. Mm -hmm. That sex between a husband and wife still creates a very intimate bond. And that is very important to us as human beings. Because if you think about it on that instinctual level, with survival being our most important goal in life, when we are bonded to another human being, we know that they have our backs when the saber-toothed tigers jump out of the bushes. I mean, it, it, it is so important for us to feel like we are connected to other human beings and that we are part of a tribe. And so to reinforce that bond, 
with skin to skin and getting the oxytocin flowing. And, you know, oxytocin is a drug in and of itself of, of sorts. It's right. a, a natural hormone that it has the same effect as Valium. It, it brings down your anxiety level. It helps you sleep better at night, all that jazz. And so there's definitely pros to her remaining as sexually active as she can with her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, just expecting that orgasm may not happen, but that doesn't mean that I can't enjoy the benefits of feeling connected to my husband and helping him experience orgasm. Because what the medicated partner needs to understand is that just because you've lost interest because of the medication on your brain doesn't mean that your spouse feels the same way. Right. They still have the basic same human needs and they haven't lost their ability to orgasm. Right. So I'll, I'll pause there. Yeah, because that's, the, that's the idea of how do you redefine the type of sex you're having? Mm-hmm. That, because we've done shows before on the concept of tender loving sex or comfort sex or... Mm-hmm. Different types, of right? Sex. Where it's where it's beyond just orgasmic level sex. It's it's truly, you know, we're doing this because it's just a comfort and it's a bonding and it's a love and it's an affection. And sometimes you can change it up to where, if you at least have in mind for both of you, that's what that's what I can do right now. That could be enough. That could be exactly what you both need during that season, or mm-hmm. as you redefine it. But then there's also the I guess the question I've got is. Can you have sexual intimacy without having sex? I totally believe that you can. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> <laughs> sex, I mean, intercourse is such a small percentage right. of sexual intimacy. Right. So it's it's non-intercourse sexual intimacy. And how do you... Well, s- but I, I don't think that just because you can't have an orgasm means that you shouldn't have intercourse. No, and I'm not saying that that's, that's something that's worth, hey, just take it off the table. I'm just, Unless I guess it's the man. Let's just, well, who, but it's, it's, opening up a, it's opening up the variety to see it be outside of the box that we have, we live in a society that defines sex as penal vaginal intercourse, and that's sex. Right. Right. Because how many of us that were raised in a religious world that, Maybe we're technical virgins. Uh-huh. As long as you didn't have vaginal penetration. Penis did not actually enter <laughs> vagina. Therefore, I'm a virgin. Really? <laughs> Hold on. You know, and that that's the what that's what we do as people. And so it's how do I switch that though to see it as okay, hold on. We got we got other things that could be going on. We could have some tremendously intimate moments that don't have anything to do with intercourse. Right. And so maybe we need to start looking outside the box a little more. We need to start thinking a little differently about how I approach some of the stuff, because that's how I change things. The clients I've worked with that have depression and most of my clientele, it's situational stuff. It's acute levels of depression and anxiety, it's not necessarily a debilitating, lifelong, manic, depressive, diagnosable level. So a lot of it is kind of a seasonal thing. It's a adjustment in life thing. It's a it's just, it's just part of where they are in their dynamic right now, mm-hmm. and they'll come mm-hmm. out of it. So a lot of it is trying to see it as how do we utilize the medication that's available, but also do it concurrent with. Lifestyle choices, nutrition choices, exercise choices, sleep choices, and talk talk therapy. Mm -hmm. That if I'm doing, I mean, research actually shows if you're dealing with anxiety and depression, regular, at least three to four times a week exercise of actually sweating for 20 to 30 minutes each time and talk along with talk therapy has faster results 
than medication does. Right. That's what I wanted to get into is I began to talk with this client about her lifestyle choices. And uh, yeah, I just went through a, a one month experimentation on Lexapro because after my dad's suicide and just all the transition in my life over the past few months, I just felt like if there's ever a season of my life that it's warranted, right. this is it. But after one month on it, it was like, you know what? I just don't like the way that it makes me feel. I feel like there are more organic approaches sure. to to boosting myself, you know, picking myself up by the bootstraps, for sure. lack of a better expression. And so I just started asking her several questions about things that she could be doing that I had found much more successful than a medication. Not that she should replace a medication, again, because her medication is serving really good yep. purposes. Yep. But if she can just incorporate these things in addition to an antidepressant, it could certainly just help her feel better. And when we feel better, we have to admit that we're more interested in relating right. with someone else, right. especially our spouse. So she admitted that she only exercises maybe two times a week. I challenged her to try to double that okay. and try to do at least four times a week. And she said, well, I don't really have the time because I work. I've got the two kids. She works a nine to five job. Mm -hmm. and told her uh, in every state I've ever worked in, there is a law that you get 15, a 15 minute break in the morning and in the afternoon. And then you get either 30 minutes or an hour for lunch. And I challenged her that if you just took a 15 minute walk around the block a few times in the morning and another in the afternoon, that's 30 minutes of exercise that you just got in a day mm -hmm. without taking any time away from your work or your kids. Um, then I also uh, challenged her to get outside with the sunshine and fresh air. We are wired for nature. Yep. And so being closed up in, in an office and then in a house all the time, not good. She also admitted that her sleep hygiene really is pathetic, that she falls asleep on the couch and then wakes up in the middle of the night, takes herself to the bed with her cell phone and then plays on her cell phone for a while to wind back down. Yeah. It's like, yeah, if you're going to stare at a screen at two o'clock in the morning, your, your brain is not getting that deep REM sleep that you really need to have for hours at a time. Um, and so I challenged her no cell phone in the bedroom at all, that even if you're just laying there awake and bored, I think that that's actually the time that our brains come up with the best ideas and that we can meditate. We can have time to ourselves. Well, it doesn't have to be spent sleeping in order for it true, to be relaxing. But there's also, if you're talking about the five levels of sleep, mm -hmm. being awake, but in a resting state is the first level of sleep mm -hmm. because you're, you're allowing your body just to unwind, to rest, rest, to not have some sort of sensory input going on, but to be, and that's, that's a component of how we sleep. Right. Right. If you're, if you're the you... type of, that lives life that when you finally hit the bit, the pillow and you are instantly out, you're missing some levels of sleep that are important in this whole process <laughs> that mm. there are going to so be times where down. you go to bed and you're awake a little bit, you're kind of in a, you're in a, a gradual transition stage. Mm -hmm. And that's a component of this. Cause I think if you look at it, Shannon, look at the way history has been before electricity sunset helped determine when people went to bed. Right. right. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about that is it's gradual. Uh -huh. And if you notice if you are the type of person, I notice this a lot because we're outside a bunch with our kids throughout the summer and then even just all year round. As the sun's going down, you know, like right now in Texas, it goes down about 8, 8.30. Mm -hmm. About 9 o'clock, if I'm kind of, if we've come inside and I'm just sitting on a couch hanging out, I'm about ready to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. But then I can get a second wind and be up for a little bit longer. But it's because of I was outside as part of that gradual wind down cycle. 
Mm-hmm. And that kind of slows your body down. And you can do, you can recreate that inside by just right. dimming lights when it comes time for bed and work mm-hmm. your way gradually to darkness. Right. And I have a huge sleep hygiene routine. It takes me almost as long to get ready for bed as it does to get ready to go somewhere. But I'm just a big believer in certain things. If you can have certain rituals that yep. you go through, that it sends messages to your brain and your body that, okay, this is what it's time for. Yep. But and on the topic of sleep too. Oh, go ahead. No, it's just oh, an important little fact to, uh, I don't know if anybody knows this as far as in the sports reference. Back several years ago when the Boston Celtics won the NBA championship, you know, with yeah. Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, those guys that were all in the latter parts of their career. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually had a sleep specialist that worked with the team throughout the playoffs. And I they, am not surprised. They set up a regimen as a team of how they would handle the, the taxing of their body because of their age. It was harder to recover, so sleep right. became all the more important. And so they actually set it up to where hotel rooms were pitch dark. They had no electronic stuff inside. They even got TVs out of it. And, you know, those kinds of things that made it to where the guys had to give respect to sleep because mm-hmm. it, they saw the payoff, though, is they performed better. Right, right. I'm a big believer in sleep, uh, especially since being diagnosed with sleep apnea two years ago. And I think that there are a lot of people out there who are walking zombies and feeling depressed right. and they don't even realize that it's because they're not getting quality sleep. They're sleeping, yeah. but they're not breathing properly during their sleep. They're yeah. holding their breath and that makes you wake up feeling like you've run a marathon. So anyway, we're, we're kind of getting a little bit sidetracked here, but I think that just looking at some of the reasons behind depression yep. of we're not taking proper care of ourselves, we're not eating like one of the other recommendations that I had for her is Stop eating processed food. Your body doesn't recognize that as food. Right. Eat one ingredient foods. Eat whole foods, yep. meat and vegetables and fruit uh, and, and lots and lots of water and cut down on the caffeine and all the things that really mess up your sleep at night. So as all that aside, there are still some people that chemically, biologically, mm-hmm. they need an antidepressant. Yep. So I think that the basic message here is you're going to have to reframe what sex represents and what it provides your life and your relationship. It may not be the off the charts pleasure that you were accustomed to prior to being on this medication, but it's still, I think a very vital part of living a healthy life. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. And it's worth noting that depression and anxiety fundamentally are the same thing. They're just opposite ends of the spectrum. I never if, thought of that. If you suffer from anxiety, it's the same thing, fundamentally speaking, as suffering from depression. Because the medications, isn't that interesting? Like with kids, if you have a kid that's hyperactive, what do you give them? Ritalin. S- speed, <laughs> right? It's like, right. And it helps them. And it calms down. Calm down. And that's, that's largely what anxiety medication still is. is but it, so it's, it's seeing it as... There, there's the same components that go on in anxiety and depression. They just manifest themselves differently in your body. Interesting. Because we think of depression as like, I'm laid here, out here on the couch watching TV and I can't get up because right. I'm too depressed. But you're saying that that's just one extreme. The other right. extreme is the anxiety. Anxiety. I can't stop. I can't turn my brain off. Or, I can't or, I'm, or I'm so petrified and anxious about things, I'm stuck here on the couch and I can't do anything. Oh, I hadn't thought about <laughs> right? that. Or, or I can never sit down on the couch right? because that would mean that I'm not taking control and managing things well. Right. And so it's seeing these things as, okay, I, I, I completely agree with what you're talking about, that there are 
a, a, a segment of the population for sure that it's a chemical imbalance. It's a, there's something that biologically speaking, it's a necessity to have this in your life. I still believe though, that even with that case, there are other natural things you can do that might stem the tide and make it to where you can lessen the dose that you got to give that you have mm-hmm. to take. Or there's some that you could even, I mean, I fully believe the human body will heal itself if we'll feed it and treat it right. Mm-hmm. And if I'll, if I'll kind of look at it from an alternative standpoint, maybe I find a different path forward and maybe I find a new avenue because this becomes now, how do I live my life that's in line and with my priorities and what I say I want in my character? And if this is something where I say, you know, I've been meaning to back off on this, but I never do. Well, okay, hold on. I understand the crutch of it. I completely get it. But how do I take the courage, a step of asking my doc, is there something else I could right. do? Or I seek another opinion from a holistic approach and right. I don't have to follow it, but I could, you know, information is power when I apply it. And right. And in looking at the possibilities between medication or organic remedies or therapies, uh, and I totally agree with the talk therapy as being incredibly helpful for people who are struggling with depression. But when you're looking at those two options, you always have to remember that you're exchanging one set of problems for a different set of right. problems. That medication is not a magic wand, that right. there are going to be lots of of consequences and side effects that you're going to have to deal with that maybe you didn't have to deal with before. So, you know, for some people, they have the luxury of choosing the lesser of the two evils, you know, like for me, my situation, it was like, okay, I can be a little weepy sometimes over triggers that remind me of my dad. I would rather have that than how the Lexapro is making me feel. But I understand that there are other people that the, the alternatives that there's, there's really not a choice. And I totally respect people who listen to their bodies and their minds and, and, and utilize the medicine in, in the mm-hmm. way that it was intended, in the way that the drug makers, you know, manufactured it for. Right. It, because there's, there's all kinds and it's, and it takes a priority uh, of just making uh, what being proactive in your life and, and deciding, okay, this is, this is what I need to do. Cause the issue, the issue I have, and this is kind of a personal one, I guess, more than anything is medication become, becomes a crutch sometimes. Because it, it's easier to pop a pill. That's the world. That, that's right. Amer- that's where we live in America. Yeah, it's, it's easier to pop a pill than to do the hard work. Right. And sometimes that means I need to take the courageous step of hold on. How do I? Am I am I upholding my side of this, or am I relying on something too much? Because there is an element right. of yeah, I'm not at all going to ever talk a client out of you need to get off that meds. Right. But I want them to understand what meds they're doing, why, what it does, be, be real engaged in, in the whole process. So that way you at least make some educated decisions and have somebody that comes alongside you to help with that. Well, and I don't think there's any antidepressant out there that is so powerful that you can afford to lay around, do nothing, gain weight, not get quality sleep, not get air and sunshine. Like it's, you still have to work with your body right. for the antidepressant to really have the maximum effect. And right. so it's not a matter of either or, it's both and if you have to be on antidepressants. But just remember that sexual intimacy in your marriage relationship has a very calming effect, just that oxytocin that is produced and that there's all kinds of reasons to still attempt to bond and connect on those levels because it'll definitely have payoff in the long run. Right. And being being a sexually available partner 
to your spouse who doesn't have these mental blocks, it, it can make you feel really good about yourself that you are still an interested and motivated sex partner. Even if you don't need it, you know that your spouse does right. and you're happy to be there, happy to play that role for them. Right. And so, so it's reframing what does it mean to you? What does it mean to each of you? And, and trying to mark a path forward. And, and a lot of this truly is there's not a roadmap. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's not, a, okay, here's the guide. Here's what you do. Instead, uh-huh. it's a, okay, hold on. Let's take this step and let's see what happens. Let's, let's redefine right. it this way and let's see what happens. And, and, I, and as I explained to this gal, life is full of these kinds of adjustments. Yep. As we get older and older, we have to make more and more physical and mental adjustments to what sex means and what we get out of it. All right. Well, this has been Sexy Marriage Radio, where we love that you take some time out of your day each week to spend it with us. So thank you for showing up. (laughs) We'll see you next time. We love you for listening. 